Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. I'm Marlon Guild, and along with my co-host Matt Collier, we'll analyze everything from hoops to hip-hop. Check us out. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Welcome everybody to another episode of Bleachers and Boards. I'm Matt Collier here with my co-host Marlon Gill. What's going on, man? I'm good. Looking forward to this episode. As always, let's make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah, we're here with uh, Coach Trey Montgomery, assistant coach at the University of Pennsylvania in the Ivy League. How you doing this evening, Coach? Doing great, man. <clears throat> Pleasure to be on with you guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for agreeing to come on, and uh, we're looking forward to another great episode. So uh, one of the things that we like to start off with uh, here on the uh uh, bleaches and boards is talk about uh, a little bit about your background and how you got started. And uh, if you don't mind sharing, uh, after you give us a little bit of your background, uh, what would you say makes you um, a great assistant coach and uh, in your journey to, to get to where you are today and why you are more than just a recruiter? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> just to kind of get into uh how I got to where where I am just briefly um, from a small town called St. Rose, Louisiana, which is probably about 20 to 25 minutes outside of the New Orleans, Louisiana uh, metro area. And um, actually, after I got done playing college and playing a little bit overseas, uh, you know, always thought, you know, what's the next best thing, you know, uh, to playing basketball and, you know, linear thought is coaching, right? Um, so I actually got invited to coach. My very first coaching job was uh, one of my homeboys needed uh, a, a coach to sub in because he had to go somewhere for his job and he needed me to coach some 14 year olds and it ended up being an AAU job. And um, from there, I just started coaching high school. Um, and out of nowhere, I got a call from one of my college teammates just basically uh, uh, encouraging me to reach out to a coach um, that he was really close with up here in Philly, um, uh, who was a D three head coach and he needed some assist uh, assistant coaches. And uh I reached out to him and long story short, after two hours of talking to him, he was like, man, you got the job. And so I uh, talked to my wife. I had to take it over uh, to, to boss lady. And she was super excited because she was ready to get out of Louisiana. Um, you know, we both just uprooted ourselves out of a brand new house. We were only, we only lived in the house. We built it from the ground up. We only lived in it for about 10 months. Wow. We packed it up, me, my wife and my one year old and came up here to Philly. Didn't know where it was going to take us or how it was going to go. But, uh, so far so good and uh, I was able to work two years at Eastern at the division three level and um, you know was able to make an impression on coach Donahue and the staff and they allowed me to come on and uh, you know been here this would be my third year and so 
It's been great. My wife's been killing it at her job. Uh, she's in IT. My kids been doing great. I actually have a second son as well. So they've been doing great. And uh, I'm super blessed and super fortunate. And um, to be honest, uh, what makes me a great assistant, and I, I, I don't try to toot my own horn, but I think the, the thing that makes me, you know, really, really uh, a different type of a guy is that I don't consider myself intelligent. I consider myself resourceful and perceptive. So I try to pick up on things as quickly as possible. I try to adapt to whatever it is that's around me. And I try to utilize the resources that's given to me. Um, and if you want to call that intelligence, then that's what you want to call it. But um, I think, uh, I think you know, the best survival technique is to use what's around you to the best of your abilities. I think that's what makes me a great assistant coach is that, you know, I don't try not to ask for too much help, even though help is needed. Um, but I try to do everything I possibly can to make sure that I get the solutions that I need. And usually, usually that comes from the, the people and the things that are around me. And so um, I, I'll say, you know, you know, when it comes to that and what, what makes me more of a, of a coach and more than a recruiter is the fact that I actually try to look at the bigger picture, um, being able to navigate yourself from a, from a place like Louisiana where basketball is not the, the, the heaviest sport uh, to play at a school where, you know, it's not, you know, they don't have the notoriety for having, um, you know, crazy NBA players and a lot of lineage when it comes to that type of stuff. And uh, to not have a huge coaching tree, you have to learn to navigate yourself through the business and, uh, and, and look at it from the grand scheme of things. And so um, I try to look at basketball as a microcosm of life. I try to look at it as a opportunity to gain learning experiences so that it could, you know, push you to the next phase, whatever that may be. And, you know, um, just understanding what, what things basketball brings, whether that be the resources and the networking, whether that be, you know, relationships, whether that be discipline and hard work, whether that be, you know, just being able to build camaraderie or maybe be able to translate some type of X's and O's schemes or how to run a program to maybe the business sector or whatever the case may be. Just utilizing those skills and utilizing the things that you learn uh, in order to get better. And so, um, you know, we, we, we all know that recruiting is a life the lifeblood of, of college basketball and in order to win, you need good players. Um, but at the same token, just trying to learn every, everything that I possibly can to, to make myself uh, not only a, a jack of all trades, but to be uh, in a sense, a Renaissance man of, of college basketball. And so uh, I think that's what makes me more than a recruiter. Um, and I think that's how I utilize uh, a lot of things uh, that I have around me in order to make myself and the people around me better. Awesome. Nah, that's that's good stuff, man. Now, before we get into the the basketball talk, you know, that transition from and we spoke a little bit about it off air, but talk about how you going from Louisiana to Philly, and I don't want to make my Philly people upset, so I'm not gonna say too much about Philly because Matt's <laughs> over here and and he's got his group of Philly guys. Louisiana and Philly are two different places. Totally. How has that transition been for you for the three plus years? That are you are you an Eagles fan? Are you a Sixers? <laughs> are you Philly after X amount of years of being up I ninety five? Are you Philly or are you still Louisiana? Nah, man, no, no way. I'm, 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 no offense. Careful, Philly's listening. <laughs> no offense to the Philly people. You know, Philly's a great city. Um, a lot of history, a lot of great things happen, a lot of great people. Um, but I'm, I'm Louisiana to the core. You know, um, 
I got it tatted on me, to be honest. Um, and so I, I can't go back. I can't go back. But uh, at the same token, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, a huge Saints fan. Uh, the Eagles are, are fine for me. I, I, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Eagles in my book. You know, I hate the Cowboys. Don't backtrack, Trey. Don't back, on, on this show, we don't backtrack. You got to stand. No, they're okay. I, like, I don't have anything bad to say about them, but I'm a true black and gold soul when it comes to the Who That Nation and, and Saints. Um, I hate the Falcons and I hate the Cowboys, um, you know, but the Eagles, they're, if, if they win, as long as it's not against us, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's fine, you know. Um, and to be honest, Eagles fans can be a little obnoxious. So I, uh, I, I, <laughs> they're serious, you know man. They're serious. I've never seen, they've never seen anything like it. That, that oh. Eagle, oh, man. Yeah. Oh. They so, strong, strong. I, I, t- I tell you this though, too, man. The biggest, the biggest transition culturally, uh, uh, and, and the two biggest things I'll say is number one, it's the the the, the southern hospitality is is a, is, a, is is not very much present up here. <laughs> um, you know, people are nice, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's very goal oriented up here. Like people have down that, you know, it's, that's the Northeast where, you know, people are very goal oriented. They have aspirations. And so they're straight to the point. Time is money, you know, whereas in Louisiana, it's way more of a laissez faire, um, take your time, ease into it type of mentality where, you know, they say five o'clock, five thirty is all good. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, <laughs> another thing is food. I'm gonna say this right now. I love cheesesteaks. Uh oh, uh oh. Pizza, pizza, and all that other stuff. All well, you're not stuff. gonna get good pizza in Philly. You're not. That no, don't look. No, it's, it's that. not. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. But it's better than Louisiana because Louisiana. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 It's not really known for the cuisine. But let me tell you something right now. There's no better place for food than New Orleans, Louisiana, when it comes to, you know, the red beans, the jambalaya, the spices, the the seasonings, this, you know, um, all of that stuff. I, I Look, my mom comes up here, I always say, well, she's like, what you want me to cook? I'm like, listen, I need a fried catfish sandwich on bunny bread. You know, I need, you know, I need some red beans and rice. I need potato salad. You know what I'm saying? I need some red beans with andouille sausage. I need some jambalaya. You know what I'm saying? I need some of that. Up here, they ain't got none of that. <laughs> and anybody who tries to emulate it up here has gone completely wrong. Um, and so um, to the point where, like, so, so many things are – no offense, but so many things are so bland up here. But uh, – <laughs> You know, it, they ain't got no seasoning on it. I'm like, yo, like my mom, my, my mama cooks spaghetti, right? My mom cooks spaghetti. She bakes the noodles, and she she seasons the noodles, and she bakes the noodles, and then she puts it and cooks it with the the sauce and whatever. So you even get seasoned on the noodles up here. It's like you know, it's, you thought it in the water, good, but it's it's not the same. <laughs> and so, no offense, but oh, home is home is definitely where the heart is when it comes to the food. But the people here, I'll be real with you. Uh, everybody who I've had the chance and opportunity to really meet uh, and really get to know have been great. Um, you know, but it's just catching them. That's the key. You know, because everybody's so busy, everybody's so on the go. Um, but honestly, Philly's, Philly's been good to me, and I can't say anything bad about the city. 
You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll catch. You'll catch up. It'll. It'll. You'll. You'll catch up. Philly's a great place. I lived there for nine years. You'll. You'll. You'll enjoy it. So um, it'll grow on you. I, I would say that it's not going to be New Orleans, but uh, and I'm not saying that better or worse. It's just going to be different. But you'll. It'll grow on you. Now, now, what is better is the basketball. Okay. <laughs> I will say that yeah. because you know, coming from a place like Louisiana where football is the cash cow, everybody mm-hmm. plays football. My. My, my, my closest cousin was number two cornerback coming out of high school in the country. One of my best friends who lived across the street was, you know, one of the best players, defensive players in the country uh, and, and graduated three years from, you know, Georgia Tech, played for the Patriots. Like, you know, I, I know, like, I come from the same city as Ed Reed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I come from, you know, like, we. I think St. Rose and uh, Destrehan had multiple first-round picks. Um, you know what I'm saying? This this year we had a first-round pick. Justin Jefferson from out of LSU went to the mm-hmm. Vikings. So, yeah. Like there's there's a lot of football talent uh, in our area, and I got a lot of young boys. I'll put it to you like this: my freshman team, my freshman team when I first started talking, uh, I first started coaching. I, I apologize. My freshman team in high school, my top six were all high major Division One football players. So um, you know, they're, they're we have nothing short of athletes, but they all play football. Right. And the ones that are good at basketball, it's like the, the basketball coaches aren't necessarily coming as much. But Nick Saban and, you know, all these other schools, Alabama and Auburn, they're at our school. So they're like, you know what, I might as well learn how to catch a football. So um, they end up playing football anyway. I think I was one of the first Division One basketball players in probably like a 15 to 20-year span from my, from my high school. Wow. I think we, had, we had one or two after me. But before that, it was, it was, a, it was a good little minute before anybody went uh, Division One, and, and the reason is it wasn't because we didn't have good players. They just all ended up playing football. Wow, wow, wow. That's, that's good stuff. Well, you know, one of the things you mentioned was, uh, you know, catching someone's eye. So clearly, you now being at Penn, you caught the eye of Steve Donahue. Uh, and now being there for, for three years, you guys have had a lot of success. Uh, and, and just being on the court, I know, like you said, everything is based off of recruiting, but now, yeah, you can get some players, but they got to be able to run the system that you put in place. And, you know, you guys have had success with that. So if you can talk a little bit about what it is you guys like to do on the uh, offensive end and, uh, you know, give it to our, our listeners, we greatly appreciate it. Huh? Yeah. So uh, just to kind of, I guess, kind of segue before I start showing clips, you know, the things that we recruit heavily, obviously beyond uh, the academics, Side and uh, getting some kids that could obviously maintain themselves on the, on the academic side in the Ivy League is definitely trying to get some players that not only have a great feel, but they're skilled. You know, every school knows that, you know, to have skilled players um, is going to help with the longevity of your program. And, you know, you need guys who can shoot, pass, dribble, and make great decisions. Um, and then not only that, have guys that want to compete. I think I think that's one of the things that's lost these days is guys that want to compete, not just work hard, but like want to be competitive. And so uh, we try to look for those things. And I think uh, that's one of the hardest pieces of evaluation is trying to find those guys. And I think over the last couple of years, at least from my standpoint of being here, we've had quite a few guys that love to compete. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have such success against uh, such great teams uh, is just simply because of the fact that, you know, 
those guys love to compete. They, they might have a chip on their shoulder. Maybe they're walking into it like, man, you guys should have recruited me. Maybe they're walking into it like, hey, listen, they're looking down on us. I don't think they should be. Or maybe they're just like, hey, listen, I just love the game. and I just want to be able to play to the best of my abilities against the best competition. I don't know. Um, but at the same token, having those guys to be able to walk into a gym, not necessarily be phased by anything and just go out there and just want to compete, win, lose, or draw. I think that's something that's huge for our program. And so being able to get those guys to come in and do that type of stuff is great. Um, as far as our offense, we want guys who could play in space um, and, and you know, really uh, do some things as far as pro style. I think we play a lot of pro style offense where we do a lot of uh, some of the things you'll see on the clips. It, it's very uh, mismatched, so it's not necessarily in chronological order, but it's a lot of like smaller clips where I'll discuss like some of the fine tuned things that we do. But um, as far as like dribble handoffs, ball screens, um, looking at certain things, making quality decisions, I think those things are things that translate to the next level that we try to preach on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And honestly, if we can get a great shot, great. If we got to get a tough shot, great. But the thing that we want to do is make the best decisions for our ball club. And I think that's the hugest part when it comes to, to basketball. And so we run five out. We have a lot of cutting. A lot of, uh, uh, I guess you could say, Princeton concepts with the run ads and the, the point circle action, whatever you want to call it, uh, where we have the five out at the top and the guys kind of run off and have those off, off ball actions. Um, but just having guys that can decipher and read and, and do those different things are always great. So um, I could actually jump in and kind of start sharing a little bit. Um, Please do. Please do. Look forward to checking it out. Y'all see that pretty good? Yep. Yep. Awesome. So I'll – Widen the screen. All right, and I started kind of up because the the, the rest of the stuff is filler. But um, so right now, uh, if you look right here where my mouse is, Lucas Monroe uh, actually started the ball off, and uh, he's going to pass it to Eddie Scott on the wing. And this is kind of an initiator for our offense. And so our guys are going to be cutting off our big man, which is AJ Broder, who was a all conference player for multiple years, and he was the the reigning player of the year, co player of the year with Paul Atkinson at Yale. Um, so, so does it almost starts off in a, a two three high set with the two guards on the around the lane line um, extended out uh, the the five uh, the five at the free throw line and then the uh, is it two wings sort of in that uh, free throw line extended area? Yeah, and so set. I'll be honest with you. You know, we've always said like you know, there, there's obviously things that we want to preach as far as spacing and getting to certain spots, but we understand that things aren't always going to be perfect. Okay. And so sometimes it doesn't always have to be initiated in this set. Sometimes guys can just dribble into things. They okay. just start off with a simple handoff or things of that nature, but uh, just really um, getting into certain actions. And so I kind of play this a little bit. And so, um, you know, you have your double front uh, as well as your, 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 your two wings and then your big in the middle. And basically uh, they're going to dribble handoff on the near side. And on the weak side, you can exchange if you want, but you don't have to. So Lucas cuts through. And Eddie runs uh, an over-the-top screen, which we, we call a tiger. Um, but we run an over-the-top screen, and basically um, just to get the defense moving. Now, the central focal point is our P, which is A.J. Broder, who's our post. And he gets the ball, and he, he operates at the top. And it's huge that he makes these quality lane decisions. And from there, you get into your normal run ads. You could get with this player right here is Max Martz. So he has a number of decisions that he could make. He could either use this screen from Eddie Scott and come over the top, he could refuse it, back cut. Um, he could curl it. Um, he could set a, a, a almost like a flare screen for Eddie. All this stuff is basically deciphered uh, on the fly. 
and it has to deal with a lot of communication and a lot of reps and just reading what the defense gives. And so, um, you know, it doesn't matter who communicates it, honestly. Uh, we always say uh, anybody can be center field, but the first person that talks is the person that you need to listen to. Um, and so, so, now you, um, so now you have the five on the, uh, the right lane line extended. Yep. Um, the, uh, you have a wing now in the corner, and then now you have uh, three guys on the weak side that are uh, getting ready to uh, make, a, make a decision on how the action is going to be played. Correct. And now the key is here is that, you know, on this side, you have a lot of bunching because you have a lot of things going on. Right. So our big can choose whether or not he wants to continue on this side. We don't have a problem with bunching because these guys got to make that decision of who's going to guard who and if they're going to switch or who's going to sag or whatever their defensive principles are. Or he could decide to go to this side and have – what we like to call a naked side um, and, and go into basically two-man action, which we do often. Um, uh, so it, it just depends on what you're feeling. And all that is basically up to the discretion of the, the, the post and what he's reading. And that's why you need guys who can think, uh, not that guys don't, but you need guys who can think quicker, make quicker decisions, quality decisions on the fly. Um, and so here um, on the weak side, as you can see, uh, you got three guys. I think Devin should be getting a little bit to the corner. Our point guard who cut through, he should be getting to the corner. But right now you have a run at between your four and your three. He decides to use it, which is fine. And now Eddie has to make a decision, which is our three at the time. He has to make a decision on how he's going to get out. Is You can't stay. You know, we want spacing. We want guys to, uh, to, to, to be open and to be able to play in space. So we don't want to clog the lane up. So we always have a saying, cut and get to a spot, cut and get to a spot, right? So Eddie does has no idea. And again, like I said before, this is, you know, this is not scripted. Like when you start to be, you start to build guys that are scripted, then you start to build robots. And you don't want guys who are robots. You want guys who could play in the flow of the game. So now Eddie decides to pop off because he saw that Max Marks cut, catches it, and now we're in the ball screen. And this is what we really teach right here. And this is what I kind of want to pinpoint is lane decisions, right? In the NBA, I think your point guards, your guys who handle the ball, usually they're elite in lane decisions, right? right. Where they're drawing guys to step up, they're making kicks, um, they're making quality decisions for, for either great passes or great shots. Um, instead of having a guy come off this and go super hard and just run into traffic, you know, really take your time, slow down, and make a quality lane decision. And as you can see, even though Yale's in great spots, obviously we have a pocket pass. We also have in this area over here, we got that skip. We get a nice little spot. Here we kind of started off a little bit. And so, again, wanted to preach, again, about more about lane decisions, ball screen action, and really um, showing guys how to, how to be efficient going into the paint. And so Devin comes off. And as you can see, spacing, right? Bigs always have the opportunity to pick and pop or pick and drop, whatever they want, short roll, long roll. We, we, we practice all of that stuff. It's all about reading the defense. And then from there, it's about creating options. Devin does a great job turning and uh, uh, trying to make the defense guard him. And at this point in time, he has plenty of options. We have Jordan Dingle, who's our point guard here, ready to catch. We have Eddie. On the three-point line, ready to catch. We have Ray Jerome, ready to catch. We have three 35-plus percent three-point shooters ready to catch. Um, and that's one of the things that we really teach is getting out to the three-point line. I think one of our best attributes is the fact that we had 
we, we were one of the top teams in the country to, to get open shots. Um, and that's what we want to preach. We want to make quality lane decisions so that we get easy shots. We are, let our offense facilitate what we do. And here, easy drop off. Great. All right. So now we started early again in the ball screen action. So again, on the backside, you know, again, we don't have a problem bunching. Uh, we have, you know, guys that are cutting through. Uh, I think that the play started off with Ryan Belly, who just hit, uh, hit our big, and then he immediately hit Jordan on the fly. So on the backside, you got guy in the corner operating, guy on the slot operating, and you got one guy cutting through. Again, the rule is if you cut, fill. Find a place to fill. Um, and, again, this was the same opportunity as before. If you notice on that first play, when A.J. caught it, he could have went back to that side, but he decided to go to the, to the empty side. So now you're coming off. One thing that we heavily preach is a, a, a low amount of dribbles. We don't want to over-dribble. The more you dribble is the more the defense has a chance to get uh, get set. And so the least amount of dribbles, obviously, you're making decisions on the fly, quick decisions, leads to an easy dunk. Again, same thing, right? Guys are cutting, all right? And that's fine. We understand that this is not going to be perfect, right? So now Devin comes over the top, same thing, right? Ball screen action, Jordan comes, he reads, one thing that's great about our bigs is that we teach, you know, we want our, our, our bigs to help the defender make a decision. Yeah. We don't necessarily need them to just stop them. We want them to make, make a decision. If they go under, great. If they go over, great. But we can't let them make the decision for us, right? Uh, we want to be able to read it, and we want to make them really go to what they want to do. And so if they want to chase, that's fine, and we go downhill. So Jordan does a great job. Again, low amount of dribbles. He sees a pocket. You get a nice, low, easy pass. Hey, Trey, don't don't mean to uh, cut you off real quick. How much do you guys work on these pocket passes? I know you talked about less is more with the dribbles, but these pocket passes are so precise. Is that something that is done in skill development uh, every day? And how much time do you guys put towards that? It's, it's both. Honestly, we work on it individually. Uh one thing about Penn that I love is the fact that we get so much support. We have like 10 managers, <laughs> um, which is, you know, not a lot of programs have that. And, and a lot of these kids just want to be a part of something. They didn't even play basketball. They just love to be a part of something. And so these kids will come out and they'll play a lot of dummy defense. They'll do whatever. And so we have the opportunity to work on this with, with guys. And so um, we do this a lot in practice where we split up with big guys and, and guards. Um, we'll do this a lot in three on uh, three on no, two on no breakdowns. And then we'll do two on two, three on three breakdowns, four on four breakdowns. We may maybe isolate on one side of the court. So we work on these decisions heavily. And a lot of this stuff actually is scout based. So, you know, if you have a tendency, for example, a lot of high majors, because they have a lot of the size, they want to overwhelm you with size and physicality. So they want to jump it. They want a high, a hard hedge. They want to step out, use their use their measurables against you. And so, when we go into some of these games, we know, like, you know, don't play with it because you know these guys are long. They might get a piece of the ball or something like that. So the le less is more. Get them rotating. Get get them moving. And so, um, you know, we we have those things in, in place. And then from there, we just work on it. We just work on it all day, you know. And so we want these guys to be not only great scorers but great facilitators because when you got five guys working together and it doesn't matter who's scoring 10, 15, 7, 2, 20, 
like everybody's a threat. And when everybody's a threat, that's when it puts the most pressure on the defense. Coach, can I ask one one question? Yeah. And I know, and I know we talked about um, uh, talked about um, being more than a recruiter um, <laughs> a little bit at the top, but I have one question uh, regarding that. So you mentioned the point about you know recruiting guys that have a high basketball IQ and really um, you know being at a making that a point of emphasis for um, the guys that you recruit. But I think that. When, you know, when you're recruiting and evaluating, saying, oh, somebody has a really good IQ, you know, that's that's very subjective, right? So right. if you're going to watch an AAU game or you're going to watch a high school game, and I don't, you know, obviously, you know, you guys are recruiting competitively, so if you can't give too much away, <laughs> I understand. But what, you know, is there anything specific that you're looking for outside of, okay, he can dribble, pass, and shoot? You know, like, how are you measuring their IQ on the basketball floor yeah. just going to see them in a high school game where maybe their high school doesn't run things that are so intricate or, um, you know, where it involves a lot of thinking or in an AU game where it may not be a lot of thinking? What are the things that you're kind of evaluating and looking at that you say, okay, this kid is smart enough on the basketball court to, pl- on the basketball court to play for us? I always say, show me you can see it, and I'll show show you that I believe it. Um, And that's one of the quotes that I always say. So, for example, you know, I know some of these kids are playing on high school teams. They're not always loaded like a Brewster or IMG or Mm -hmm. Mount Verde. Some of these kids are playing on the very normal high school teams where they might be the only Division I player in the area, you know. And so uh, they might have to do a little bit more of scoring the ball. But sometimes I just want to see it. And so if you, for example, like Jordan here, let's say Jordan drives and, and goes to the basket. Like, and I understand that he probably has to score a lot in order for his team to win and his team to be successful. But if he could show me one time that he sees that skip, that if, you know, this guy, uh, I think this is Moore or, or whoever this may be, uh, steps in, show me that you could skip that ball one time. You know, if you could show me that, then, you know, I, I, I will know that it's you're capable and – you'll do what we're telling you to do, you know, um, or, or we'll do what, what you're coached to do. Because honestly, what these kids do, nine times out of ten, is what they've been working on. And since we work on so many things so often, like, then they'll end up doing it. You know, the, the, the issue becomes is when you start not working on certain things and then they rely on their train, the stuff that they do with their trainer or the cone drills or blah, blah, blah. But because we work on so these things so heavily, you know, they're going to – fall back to what they're used to. And so if they could show me that they're capable, then, you know, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. And so you, you have to understand, like, some of these kids, like, again, they, they come in with certain situations and certain scenarios where they're not able to show you everything. Mm-hmm. Even though they, they might have that feel, they might have that IQ, you know, the game might not be predicated for that, you know. And that's where we as coaches have to do our research. We can't just – the, the one game that we see them might not be the game that they, they're able to showcase it. Like, you know, what if you want to, you know, see if a kid can really shoot it, but they trap him because he's, you know, he's, he's the only player on their team. Are you going to say that the kid can't shoot because they trapped him the entire game, you know, or, you know, whatever. So you, you have to, that's when we have to do our research and that's when we have to be able to say, Hey, listen, we have to look at the totality of games, look at film, go and see them in different forms, AAU setting versus high school setting different types of athletes that they're playing against, playing with, different styles of coaching, all that stuff into consideration. And then once you do that, you, you're re- really able to make 
a quality assumption into what you you know you think the the player can do and what they're capable of doing. Uh, that's great. So nice. I'll show you a couple more. You know, uh, and, and again, this is this is not necessarily more about X's and O's. This is more about just the quality decisions um, that that we make. And again, scout base. We knew that they're hedging. The big is gonna really guard uh, guard the ball screen, and the the guard is gonna follow. And so, again, you know, Jordan makes a, a great decision pitching back to our five. Now, AJ, he's not the most confident at the time of shooting this three. Uh, he's a great three point shooter when he sets his feet, but he just wasn't comfortable, and that's fine. We have other mechanisms in place to where we can get right back into it. You know, guys cutting and guys getting right back into two-man action. Less dribbles, great finish. Mm. Another one. So in this instance, you know, uh, Brown does a great job. Uh, at the time, you know, this was my scout, actually. They, they shoot the gap on everything, so they go underneath on everything. They try to get there as quick as possible. And they have some really good defenders. Brandon Anderson is really quick. Uh, he has cat-like uh, instincts. And then, you know, Perry Cowan, he was really good as a freshman, as a defender. Um, and obviously they have uh, Ganey, Jalen Ganey, who is, you know, one of the best defensive players in in our league, especially with his length and at the rim. And so really shooting the gap and forcing us to really shoot the ball. Um, but just making quality decisions, again, not being in a rush and, and really evaluating the situation. So Devin decides to go, decides to fit. And again, now we got him chasing pocket pass and this is what's great it's not only incumbent upon the the guards to make quality decisions but it's incumbent upon our bigs to make quality decisions too to not just force up this pull up or to shoot a you know 14 foot floater you know a hook or something like that but really be able to evaluate what's going on and so from here you make a great play great cut and that's something that we we heavily practice is cutting on the on, on, the on off the ball screen. That's Absolutely. awesome. Again, broken play. It's not perfect. But again, as you can see, Arizona's loaded up. Loaded up. So, you know, Jordan does a great job. One dribble. Again, they hard hedged. Name came after it. Made a great pass. AJ, now, again, it's not just on the guards to make great decisions. It's on the bigs to make great decisions. And then from there, it's on the rest of our team to make quality decisions decisions and so we have skips but what's the best thing that you could do what's the next best action as Jimmy Tillette would say in the Princeton offense you know what's the next best action that you would that, that you would have in order to help your team made out Eddie makes a great cut finished 45 cut yep so again making quality cuts and this is very similar the way AJ moves not athletically but as far as in spots uh, just utilizing his space, really spreading things out. It's very similar to the way Miami runs their offense with Bam, um, except he's, you know, AJ, I don't think he's the uh, lob threat <laughs> um, and the athletic player that, that Bam is, but um, definitely similar movements and similar decision-making. You know, that, and this is another thing that we teach, that if guys go under and you have space, make them pay. Be ready, shoot, be ready to so shoot we, the ball. Yeah, so just all about making these quality decisions. I think that's the that's what translates to the next level. You know, really being able to make the right decisions uh, when you have the ball. Now how much how much um, film on yourselves do you use? Say, and and obviously, I'm assume that you do a lot once the games start. But how much are you using film as a teaching point? Um, 
with your guys as far as their decision making when say if it's a freshman coming in and you know trying to teach him okay you have this option you have this option how much film are you guys using to uh to teach that or is it more so on the floor absolutely we use we do film uh fairly often now i think we one thing that we do is we're a very analytic bunch um uh and uh everything that we do uh has to be done efficiently and so I think one thing that we also always notice is that you can't have guys in the film room for two hours. <laughs> you know, they're not going to grasp everything. And so you got to be able to really get to the point and really emphasize some of the things that you really want to. And so just like what I'm doing right now, I'm not talking about, you know, X's and O's and spots and this, that, and the third and blah, blah, blah. I'm focusing on one thing. And so, you know, which is, uh, I think it's decision-making and lane decisions. And so that's how we, we, we approach it with our guys. We, you know, we give it to them in a couple minute spurts and we, you know, unless it's like, uh, you know, personnel and like that type of stuff, that, that's going to take a little bit longer. But, you know, when we're going over film with our guys individually or if we're showing them certain things that we want, we're going to show them a few clips and then we're going to get on the court and do it. Because I think application is just as important as having them see it and really be able to practice it. And then from there, our entire, our practice is basically catered to the scout, you know, whether that be, you know, certain things that we do, you know, we know they like to go for steals. So we're working on protecting the ball or, you know, we know they like to jump passing lane. So we might throw a ball faking or just, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, we're making sure that each and every detail that we want to emphasize is not only parallel from the, the film aspect, but it could be learned from the application. But to overload guys on film where we're in the film room for an hour, two hours to where we're just, they're going to forget after 20 minutes. And it just, it's just, it's just too much going on in their head. So get, we get straight to the point. And then if we need to go back and revisit it, we can and we'll do it. And sometimes we'll, you know, we'll do 20 minutes in the locker room, 30 minutes in the locker room. We'll get out. We'll show them a couple clips on the floor here and there that they can see. And the next thing you know, we'll give them, you know, certain things to look at when they go back in the, in the dorm room. That way they can go back and look at some stuff. When we wake up the next morning, we might have a refresher. We might do this. We might do that. But to overload them all at one time, like it's like cramming for a test, like all at one time, that's not always the most conducive way of learning. Sometimes it's like chopping it up and really giving them, you know, uh, you know sizable, sizable meals as opposed to just feasting in one way. Got it. This will be the last one that I'll show. I don't, I don't want too much, but, you know, same thing here. Um, we do a great job. Jordan does it again. Does, it, does, does He's he's one of the best at it. He, uh, I, I think, you know, there's been some things that he does uh, as far as scoring the ball that's really been great for us and as well as the rest of our guys. But uh, just being elite in ball screens and passing has been great. But, again, we have – we, we always have things in place. And so as you can see, UCF, they load up and they, just like a lot of high majors, they're protecting the rim. Um, so the the guy right here who was guarding Lucas Monroe, who's in the corner, he's actually guarding the big. And right. He's guarding so, that, that role. That so, little man is taking that role. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we, we uh, actually throw it back and hit the field guy. And Lucas makes a great decision. And I think this is where when we go into individual work, we start to really preach – on guys being themselves, right? right? Lucas is a great slasher. He has great size, great athleticism, great strength, um, and he can finish with both hands. And so I think that's what he's great at doing. And so we try to tell everybody, like, be who you are. 
Um, and so if you come off and you're aggressive and you feel like you can get there, then fine. But if you, you can't, let's make a quality decision. Let's make a great decision at, at that point. And so Lucas comes off, makes a great drive, and goes from there. You know what I mean? And so I think that's one of the great places, great, great things about us as far as Penn is that, you know, we're very pro style in the way we teach things. Um, we want guys to be themselves and we try to strengthen those things that they're good at. And then from there, we put them in a system in where they can utilize their strengths, but still be able um, to be able to help one another out and have those different things in place in order for them to still have that free flow of having the freedom, but also having structure and where everybody knows what, what's, what's going on. Gotcha. Now, how, now how, how long do you – you give the guys a lot of freedom, which is, which, which is great. And, um, you know, because I'm just looking at little decisions like, okay, if the five-man has the ball at the top of the key and he has the two-man two man option on one side or the, 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 the three-man on the opposite side, um, mm-hmm. you know, he has the freedom to make that decision on which way he's going and, and things like that when at what point do you guys as a coaching staff in a game you know and it's whether you're up down whatever but is there a point in the game where you're like okay we need to step in here a little bit and maybe direct things a a little bit more say is in it the last two minutes of the game if it's close or you know if you guys are up big and or just just throughout the flow of the game how often are you guys um, I don't want to say taking that decision, you know, the decision-making away, that's not what I'm saying, but more so how, how, how often are you guys um, interjecting into, okay, let's look at this or let's, let, let's try this or, um, all right, this is the last two minutes of the game and we need a bucket, so maybe we go to a quick hitter. Like how often are you guys um, inserting yourselves, I guess, into the decision-making process out on the floor or is it, you know – let the kids figure it out as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think there are times where coach will, you know, he'll he'll kind of say, all right, you know, maybe we're doing a little too much, you know, two-man action, or, you know, uh, maybe we're, do- we're getting straight to ball screen action, the ball's not moving enough. And so we have uh, a slew of, like, quick hitters, a slew of things that we could do to get the ball moving just to keep it, you like to call it, keep it hot. And so um, just, just get the ball moving, get touches, get, get guys moving, let the ball hit a couple sides every, you know, a couple of times and then kind of get back into what we get into just to get the defense moving. Because there's sometimes where if you get into that type of action, the defense starts to figure things out and they start to stick and they start to make adjustments and things of that nature. And so it's always important to keep the defense on your toes, on their toes. And so, there are some things that we do where coach will just like slow it down the hill. He's, he's, he's a big whistler. So, you know, his whistle can be heard all over the gym. So he'll whistle and he'll use his little hand signal or whatever. And we'll kind of get into what, what they get into. But for the most part, coach is very uh, reliant on guys to, um, to, 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 to kind of take over a little bit and, and to do their own thing. And uh, he's always said, you know, um, I don't want to stagnate their imagination. I don't want to, you know, make them feel like they're in a, in a, in a box, you know, I want them to be able to expand and and not feel like they're controlled, but feel like, you know, to, to still be able to score an opportunity because we all know like, yes, everybody runs offense, but if you got a player that can go get a bucket, like you go get it. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not taking 
ran away. Um, and so everybody has that guy or a couple guys in their roster that could just look, listen, give him the ball and get out the way, <laughs> um, you know? And so um, I, I think coach does a great job of working that, um, you know, that duality of both to where saying like, okay, it's been a while since we got the ball in the post. Like let's work around, get it in the post and let's get into different action there. It's been a while since we ran a quick hitter for a guy coming off a pin down for a shot because they're sagging or whatever. Let's work on this and we'll get into that action or whatever. But a lot of times those actions that, you know, uh, when it comes to the two man or whether it come to, you know, some of the run at stuff, that's like kind of like the foundational piece after they run those those quick hitters or that initial action. That's usually like the foundation, like what we go to with under 14 on the clock or something like that, um, just to kind of get things rolling. But um, but but there's also opportunities where you could just come down, dribble down to the wing. You you catch it on a long rebound. You're dribbling down. You don't have numbers. Big just sprints into a ball screen and you go at it. Like there's just times that that happens. That's basketball. So um, just. Uh, making sure our guys understand, like, hey, listen, you don't always have to, like, back it out and, like, look at coach, like, uh, what, what am I doing? Like, uh, you know, we want you guys to have that same freedom, too, of, of really feeling – because they know more than us on the court, right? You know, when you're on the court, you know how the game's going a little bit more than what the coach does, you know. And so, um, you know, the coach is able to see it from a different perspective, but you have that feel. And so sometimes if you feel it, we're not going to get mad at you because, you know, you're in the game. Um, and so we have to be able to trust and rely on our guys' instinct, instincts uh, that, that they're, they're doing the right thing. We know they are. We know they have the right intentions and the right purpose. And so we just have to, you know, that's, that's part of our, our, you know, thing where as coaches, we have to be able to rely on them just as much as they rely on us. That's great. I guess the, uh, <clears throat> what you guys are doing now, it's kind of been the way everybody seems to be going. Yeah spacing the five the floor, out yeah. five out and you know i we, we say this right like nobody really reinvented the it's not reinventing the wheel yeah so you know the nba does five out you know college do, does five out now you know how important you know like, like you spoke about uh aj brodor how important is that five man being able to make decisions because it, it looks like you guys put him in a lot of positions to be effective or be a part of what's going on. Now, is that just for AJ there in particular, or are all your five men in those spots in that five out to be a part yeah. of the play? I think it's for all of our guys, but I think AJ was just so good at it. <laughs> you know, um, I think that he helps. That helps. Yeah, he he was <laughs> he was just so good at it. And you know, one thing about AJ is that he he ran that borderline that basic basically that similar system in high school right. so he came in with you know a lot of experience in those positions already and so it just became doing it at a higher level um so uh it was it was kind of an, an easy transition for him and that's why he was so successful is because he was so skilled and so familiar at it but all of our guys maintain those same skills some are better at certain things than others um but it's up to us as coaches to put those those guys in those spots of if that's something that they don't do, trying to find ways in which they could still be, you know what I'm saying, a threat. They could still be contributors, mm -hmm. um, but also still being able to rely on their strengths and be able to do the things that they need to do. And so I think that's that that that's great. I think Coach Donnie, he was a wizard at that. Uh, he, he definitely gets on his Bill Belichick where he can get in the office and lock the door for a couple hours and start, <laughs> you know, getting on his magic. But, um, you know, as well as Coach Graham, 
Um, but, you know, I, I think that for the most part, we've been able, especially with the amount of time and the amount of skill development and player development that we do, um, I, I think those guys are all quick studies and, you know, they're, they're able to do those things pretty, pretty well. And so I know there, there will be tweaks in the future, you know, whether we do some, some certain things here, some certain things there, everybody's going to tweak their actions. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you know, let's let's be real. We all copy off the NBA, like you said. If the NBA started running Princeton back cuts and chin and all this other stuff, guess who's doing it? Like sixty percent of the country is going to start doing it. You know, so um, like it, it, it is what it is. So um, I, I I think that you know it, it's just important for us to follow basketball and uh, and just to utilize what we have and just to to make sure that those guys are successful in in every aspect that they have on the court. Uh, now, w- one last question I have for you, just for the over-the-top uh, action on, on the first clip. So I know you spoke about the naked side where the five-man catches the ball probably in that right slot and he's got uh, maybe your, your two men or, or your point guard, whoever initiated the offense originally. Would you guys ever do dribble-ats? Or could that five-man just, if he's right-handed, he's got that entire right lane line to him. Oh, yeah. Pretty drive. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of options. There's slips. There's, you know, the fakes where you have it and you dribble through. There's pitch and go get. There's, you know, just so many things that are, you know, this just just small little intricate details that are in uh, that, that that are that is mixed into that, you know, again, with just some of the responsibilities that the big has of of doing things. You know, there's there's a number of things where, you know, uh, inverted options where guards will set the screen for the big, you know, um, to see if they switch. Um, you know, there's there's just all kinds of things involved in that. There's, you know, sometimes we'll set the screens in different different areas where we'll set it coming up from the baseline and, you know, they'll have that baseline side to, to set, come off that screen. Like, it's just uh, – there's so many possibilities, so many different ways to tweak it and, you know, just to, to, to make the defense figure out, you know, different ways of how they're going to help and – where is help going to be coming from, how they're going to guard certain things. And so, again, it's important for us not to just be robots because I ran I, – I, I'll be real with you. When I was at Sanford, we ran the Princeton offense, and I ran it more than Princeton did. Like, we OD'd in it to the point where <laughs> I forgot how to, how to really dribble. Like, every dribble I had was – it's like dribble one, dribble two, dribble three. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we did it to a T – and so, um, you know, like, and so even though we learned how to play really well and our IQ was through the roof, there were certain things that the defense could figure out. There was like, okay, if he's not doing this, and he's definitely doing that. Right. And so you, you lose that freedom. We don't want to lose that. Um, we want the defense to have – just to say, like, I have no idea what they're doing. We have to react. And so uh, whenever you get the defense to, to start reacting instead of, like, opposing like imposing their will on it like you're in a good spot and so um that's just what we try to do as best as we can with everybody that, that's some good stuff man I, I i like that that action and as time is going on you know i, I go back to it you know it's not rocket science it, no it's not no it, idea is original yeah nope. it's making simple plays uh you know to, to get a bucket and just read how how the defense plays you. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. 
Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, the Players Court, and our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, the 305 Culture Miami Heat Podcast, Grizz and Grind, and Nuck If You Buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. You brought up a word that I'm going to use that's going to take us back to where you, you came up and you spoke about area. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about your area uh, <laughs> th- th- that you're used to. Now, you're yeah. from St. Rose, Louisiana. Yep. Now, clearly, Louisiana has had its moment in hip-hop. They had yeah. it on two separate occasions, now that I think about it. Yeah. They had it during the No Limit era. Yep. And then they had it in the Cash Money era. Yeah. Now, before you go into what that scene was like for you as a kid growing up, and we want to know which side you took, but tell the listeners and the viewers, did you own a pair of Jabot jeans? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <I did. laughs> Absolutely, I did. And, you know, I think just about every every kid in Louisiana you know, uh, had at least a pair uh, of those. Were they the, the black or the blue? I had the black. Okay, okay, you kept it simple. Yeah. Well, it is a, it's a French, it's a French name, right? Jabot. So you know, the New Orleans got that that, yeah. that, that French influence. Listen, so it fit right in. They had the baggy, the long baggy long jeans bag, shorts, long baggy jeans to wear. And you know, what I'm saying if you had to the ankle, um, yeah, oh yeah. If you had if you had a, a fresh pair, like all right. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't want to date myself, but you no, know, go go some. Go into it on this show. You if you know, if, if a lot of dudes would have like the Reebok Soldiers and Classics <laughs> on, which I thought was oh, but you know, I used to rock the Jabot jeans with some like Adidas shell toes, like the superstars. Or, you know what I'm saying, if you had a fresh pair of G-Nikes, which is Air Force Ones, we call them G-Nikes because the only, wow. only, the, gang, only the gangsters could afford them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, if you had a fresh pair of G-Nikes, man, like, like you, was, you was rolling. Um, back when they had, the, you know, people was really rocking footy socks, um, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> the, the double T-shirts, you know what I'm saying, backpacks, you know what I'm saying, like that whole, that whole deal. Um, you know, back when, you know, uh, when I was in middle school, you had the Tommy Hill figure fit, um, you know, and, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a weird time, but I definitely had a, a pair of, of Jabot jeans and, um, uh, I'm not going to lie, like looking back on it now, I, I saw a picture of myself in high school and I was, <laughs> I was like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But, <laughs> but you know, you're a part uh, of your environment, man, yeah. and I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm just like, man, That's part of it. as time <laughs> changed. <laughs> uh, you, um, you definitely shouldn't be. So, you know, clearly uh, recently, you know, BET came out with the No Limit Chronicles documentary, uh, you know, which spoke about how the label came about, you know, their importance to hip hop. Talk about 
No Limit for a second for you. What was that scene like? And who was your favorite artist in the No Limit camp? So I'm going to be real. Um, you know, Master when I was P, younger. By the way, so you got to answer this correctly. Huh? What'd you say? Master P is going to watch this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love Master P. Master P was great. Um, yeah. P, P, was, P was great for the city. I think No Limit was so groundbreaking because it was like the first wave of like, I don't think anybody like really understood the music business and really understood how big New Orleans hip hop and New Orleans rap could have been like Master P did. Mm -hmm. And like, he literally had a vision of just, you know, obviously getting out of the Calio projects and, you know, just, just making a name for him and his brothers and his family and taking care of the people around him. But at the same token, he was like, he saw something bigger and he saw something that nobody else was doing. And uh, it, it kind of gave the city a boost. Like, you know, cause it's like, you know, growing up in the nineties, like, you know, I, I, I grew up, I was born in 87. So I didn't really get a true feel of what the nine, the early nineties was, but I do like, remember like going into middle school and like listening, like hearing my first time I heard Biggie, the first time I, you know, listened to like Nas albums and stuff like that. And so you always knew like New York had it pop. Like New York was the sound and everybody was trying to emulate it. But then when, when P came out and he was like, yo, he's like, forget that. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to rap like us. We coming out with the tanks, the fatigues. <laughs> we ready for war, soldier rags, bandanas. No limit soldiers. Yeah, we, 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 we trying to take over. And anybody coming to war for us, we, we ready. We here. And so I think that was a statement, not only from a music standpoint, but from the city, because it was like, and from the area, because it was like, we here too, and we got culture, we got everything that everybody else has. And so I think that's what he was trying to portray when it came to the music, you know? And so I think it was so big because it gave a jolt to the city and it wasn't just bounce. Like everybody loves bounce now. I'll right. tell you this, Drake and all these dudes and Chris Brown and everybody in their music is sampling bounce music. They doing it on Geico commercials and all this other stuff like that. But back in the nineties, early 2000s, if I played bounce in, the, in, in, in my dorm room, people would laugh at me. Right. And I'm like, y'all don't understand. This is our culture. Right. You know, now, all of a sudden, Drake does, key, 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 do you love me? Everybody loves Bounce. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no. Like, we've we we been there. Like, nobody knows about, you know, PNC, Katie Red, you know, DJ Jubilee, you know, all of those dudes uh, and all of those people who, like, you know, and, and even before that, you know what I'm saying? Showboys, all that stuff. Like, nobody knows about that those type of guys. And, like, but like they knew about No Limit. Mm -hmm. No Limit made a statement. And I think it, it, it opened the floodgates for a lot of other artists and a lot of people to start recognizing New Orleans for the talent that they had. Because right. New Orleans is a music city, but everybody always recognized it for jazz and right. for, you know, that type, of, that type of culture. And so, you know, even I, I remember Lil Wayne said it, he, I was watching the documentary and he was like, oh, this is one of his off-brand documentaries, it's not a real documentary. And one of the interviewers was like, hey, do you have like a little bit of brass band or a little bit of jazz? And he was like, no. He was like, that ain't me. Like, you know, and because that's how they they drew the comparison. It was like, oh, it must have started from jazz or it must have started from this. It's like, no, I, you know, I grew up on Biggie. I grew up on, you know what I'm saying, KRS-One. I grew up on, you know what I'm saying? I, 
Like one is not allowed to be spoken about. Oh my bad. It's fine. Doesn't think that KRS One deserves credit for hip hop, so we have a lot. I I never said that. I didn't. He bumped his head a little bit. He's talking about you know nobody can he you know nobody can go against him in the verses because you know oh yeah he's a good yeah he he's about that yeah yeah he's 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 feeling himself right now. But I, I, that's actually an interesting point that you made right there. And I never thought about that, about how a lot of hip hop was, you know, in, from New York was influenced by jazz, right? You know, the Tribe Called Quest. And, you know, there was a lot, you know, um, uh, Gangstar with DJ Premier, a lot of jazz samples. So there was a lot of jazz influence from on New York hip hop. And then, you know, New Orleans is synonymous with jazz, but it didn't influence the hip hop there. That, that, that's an interesting point that I never, uh, I never really uh, made that connection before that there wasn't a connection, but that's a, that's an interesting, um, interesting dynamic. Right. right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Who, who's the artist you're, you're taking from Nolan? Man, I put it to you like this, man. I, I so on, who you going with? Definitely out of the mix. Silk the Shocker was terrible for me. Oh, I, 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 yeah, man. I, I, he was oh, so under the bus. Yeah, I, he was. He he wasn't good for me because he would just talk. It was like he was talking. It was like uh, and he was never on beat. And yeah, that, it was just I, like that was his thing. But I could never get into him as well. So um, that's I, interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say he's terrible, but it just it just wasn't for me. I guess you could say it like that. Um, I like P for his energy, but as far as like rapping. Like I, I, I always say, I was a mystical guy. Um, Mark Choice, you know, miss. I was a mystical guy. The man right here was that was my song. You know what I'm saying? Like if if there that was, was before movie, that was before the No Limit, right? Yeah, I what think so. That, yeah, that was like his first. Yeah, song. yeah. And then you got Danny. Like he has some bangers, and like just his energy. The like now he was rapping sometimes a little too fast, yeah. but at the same token. Like he was, it's like if one thing about it, like when you was in a, at a party and you heard mystical, like people would go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was like a different type of crazy. It was almost like mosh pit, like, like energy. Like, you know, you know how when, a, I don't know if you've been, but like you go to a rock concert and they start playing a certain type of rock, like dudes just lose their stuff and they just get into a whole different realm of thought. And he just started going crazy. That's how it was in Mystical. Like, he was just like, it was like P, C murder, Silk, blah, 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 blah. Mystical, whoosh. <laughs> it was like, you know? <laughs> and he just like kind of took off. And I was like, man, but I was definitely a mystical guy from, 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 from No Limit. That was, that was my guy. And so, but on the basketball court for certain, P, I would have taken P over anybody. <laughs> so if he watching this, if it was a, if it was basketball, no doubt, man, P was the man. They gave him a cup of coffee back in the day, right? They gave him a cup of coffee, played a couple games. Yeah, he was, he was good, man. He had, he had a little bit of game, man. He was, he was good. You know, he definitely, definitely did some stuff. No Limit had like a little blip on our radar uh, up in in New York. And for me, I'll tell you what, one, I couldn't really get down with their music because the album covers, I don't know if you remember the album cover, they were so shiny. Oh, yeah. 
you know, flamboyant with. I couldn't even. I never even figured out how they did it. Like I would just look at it. It was like, so I, much stuff. Yeah, on yeah. It. Like how, how did you? How did it who was even fire? It was a tank. It was and then the crazy. Time, it was and gold. then it was. And then they're doing they sideways. They're was, dropping one every two weeks. So it's yes. just like, <laughs> how'd you how'd you come up with this album cover in two weeks? I couldn't even enjoy the first. <laughs> Another album came out, but where No Limit got me was I actually liked their T-shirts. Okay, and like that was big for us. Like we, when I was in high school, we would go downtown Brooklyn, and it was only certain spots that had no limit clothing right so you'd probably go downtown brooklyn uh the, the s and d's underground or if you went to harlem uh and matt i, I don't know if uh, the coliseum may have had it or, or l- looking at your face right now lets me know you, you never, <laughs> I never a no limit t-shirt yeah i wasn't yeah, i wasn't looking for that <laughs> you know dudes would go and buy no limit t-shirts and or or they would order them, and I'm showing how old we are. Remember when they used to have the T-shirts in the back of the booklet when you mm-hmm. bought the CD? Right, we bought the CD. Right, you could get merch from the back of the. Yep. Guys would would do that and wear it to school, and that's really how we got caught up on the No Limit. For, for me, uh, uh, this way, but I was more of a. I, I thought Mia X was nice on the mic. I'm sorry, Mia X. I love Mia X. Mia X was fire. Kelly Price, fire. And I always forget, like I always forget, Snoop Dogg, man. What's Snoop Dogg? We're not, we're not gonna cop Snoop, man. No, but Snoop Dogg, I, I always forget that realm, that 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 yeah. part of his career in in uh in No Limit. I always forget about that because I don't think when I think of Snoop Dogg. I, no limit is far from yes, right, right. You know he's, he's an LA guy, but I always, but they're always like Snoop was on the limit. I'm like, you, you're right. He was on the limit for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like his album covers weren't shiny either. No, well, yeah, he, had, yeah, he, they, he they, were, they weren't shiny. He had his own artist. Yeah. <laughs> he had his own artist. So Definitely. now, fast forward, the end of the '90s into the 2000s, Cash Money comes about what is that time like for you man i'll be real like the 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 best part about cash money for me is obviously i'm a i'm a huge Lil wayne fan i'm one of those dudes that are like you know when i was in college like if you asked me a question i would like quote a wayne verse like you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) you know like just like you asked me like what time it was i'll say like a verse and i'd be like you'd be like you know, um, I just I, wanted to know what time it was. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I just wanted to know two thirty. Like you know, what I'm <laughs> you know, he had to give me a bar. Like, so, um, but I, I think Cash Money was great for me because I grew up with it. Um, mm. It was. It's kind of like how, you know, uh, you know how I don't want to use. This is kind of like a weird reference, but remember when P Diddy did that making the band stuff mm-hmm. and like you saw their maturation process on camera. So right. you felt like you rooted for them to win because right. you wanted, you watched it. So you like, I watched them through the auditions. I watched them fight in the house. I watched them make the album. So I kind of want them to win to see what the project's gonna be looking like. Right. The same way it was with, 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 with Cash Money for me, except it wasn't on camera. Like you grew up, like I, I remember Wayne, like his little verses where he couldn't curse. You know, I remember, you know what I'm saying? Drew, 
Julie, like Julie had like that four, that that five degrees. Oh, that was so fire! Like that album is so fire! Like still to this day, it's so fire! Like people don't understand. Like BG, like I remember pe- people used to stunt. Like I'm rolling my my, my cause people used to walk like this just because of BG. Like when BG used to do that, like people used to do that all the time. Like they were so like different and it was almost like no limit broke that barrier cash money came and they lit the whole house on fire like forget this house we going to the next one like you know what i'm saying and so they just took the torch and said we don't need no fire we got our own matches like you know and so um like it was it was great and you know i i I really like loved it because they also attacked more of the commercial side because they started to get into mainstream a little bit more than mm. what what No Limit was. And part of it was because they started to be a little gimmicky. Like, you know, Bling Bling was very gimmicky. Mm. It was gimmicky before gimmicky, right? It was, you know, like, now all of a sudden you got, you know, people in corporate world saying, oh, I see you got the bling on. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. like before they said, that, no, they did. They, 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 they made a couple things that became part of the lexicon of just – American yeah. culture, like bling bling, like right. If someone say, "Oh, you have your bling on." Everyone in American culture knows what that is. If right. you say, you know, uh, uh, I was thinking of something else that they they did, but yeah, like bling bling was was definitely one of them. You know, yeah. I mean, they 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 did like all the flamboyant stuff. Like, No Limit was takeover, but you know, uh, uh, Cash Money was like, we're we doing it, and we going we doing it for TV. It's almost like Dipset, like how that Dipset was, like y'all gonna see us. Like they driving in the prowlers, you know what I'm saying, on the bad pothole New Orleans roads, they don't care. It's like we crash, we buying another one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, they they they, they ain't got the, the bandanas, they wrap the bandanas around their wrists and they show you they gang affiliated, but this ain't about that. We about getting money. Like, you know, and so um it was great and and to this day, like I grew up with I grew up on Lil Wayne. I, I remember my like being able to being able when when he first started cursing, I was like, "Oh snap, Mama Lil Wayne cursing," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, I remember got an early call from Keisha. I remember that. I remember you know, block is hot. I remember on the corner. I remember where I was when all that stuff was hop, hopping off, and you know, uh, back when they was doing the music videos and they was drenched in hundred pounds of baby oils and he, you know what I'm saying with the fire in the background and like why are you glistening so hard like you know you know nothing but gold in their mouth and I'm just like you know it's 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 crazy Wayne like 14 years old talking about stuff he ain't got no business talking about like you know it's like with the 6x white tees on yeah yeah oh my god like you know looking like looking like Huey from I mean uh uh what's the what's the other one the, the little Riley from the boondocks you know what I'm saying like they just they were wilding and I was like man and so when you mix that in and then you get to the hot boys, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, you got BG, you got Turk. Well, I love Turk. And then you turn around, you got the big timers, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, the big times, like my wife, she used to drive uh, uh, Manny Fresh's daughter to high school. Like they lived wow. two houses away from Manny Fresh. And so she used to drive her, uh, his daughter. Like every morning she would pick her up and they would go to school. They, we all went to the same high school. And so we'll pick, we'll pick her up and bring her to school. And so we, like, they were so, like, close. And then from there, you start to see the maturation process of, you know, Lil Wayne, him getting into his own stuff, 
You start mm-hmm. to see him rapping, breaking off a little bit. You see him in the squad stuff. Like nobody talks about the squad stuff. I'm heavy on like back when he was doing the mixtape stuff, all the squad stuff. Like then he started to get into his real mixtape stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, droughts, dedications. You know, Louisiana, obviously no ceilings, all that other stuff like that. And then he became the name that he was. You know what I'm saying? I remember like Carter One, Carter One. He came out and I love Carter One. And everybody was like, Oh man, Carter One stinks. And then he came out with Carter Two, and everybody's like, "Oh, now we listen." Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and so it's uh, Cash Money was great for me. I, I think they just took it to a completely different level from the money and the commercial side and the mainstream side. They just took it to a completely different level. That No Limit. I don't think I think that they could have done it if somebody had broken the barrier for them, right? But because they were the pioneers of it, you know, there was it, you know it was, it was meant for somebody else to take it. You know what I'm saying? So. True, true. All right, so now I kind of know where where you stand. So obviously Wayne is your guy. Yeah, Wayne's, yeah. Over Wayne's over everybody. Yeah, yeah. Now <laughs> I, I I love Wayne. I, I'm a Carter. That whole Carter series. Thumbs up. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. If Turk didn't have his situations, I thought he could have been the best. In cash, money. he could have. I, I, there was the possibility that he could have. I think, you know, it's one of those scenarios where I, I explain this with, you know, sometimes with 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 kids in in certain scenarios, right? If you have a person that's playing basketball, they're from the hood, mom, single mom, maybe dad's not in the picture. They are, you know, what I'm saying they playing, they make decent grades, they don't know no better, but the hood looks out for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they make sure the kid don't get in any trouble. They like, no, you playing ball, go play ball. And all the kid knows how to do is go to school and play ball. That kid, he's probably going to make something of himself with the ball because that's all he knows. And right. it's all incumbent upon him. Right. Whereas <clears throat> if you put a kid maybe from the suburbs and, or maybe in a certain scenario, and this is not everybody, again, this is just a, a scenario that I'm just painting right now, but maybe you create a couple of different options for him. He goes to a couple of camps here. Maybe he goes to a couple of things there. Maybe he gets involved in certain internships and second and third, but he's still a good ball player. He might not do as well because maybe he's investing some time in other places in which he could do better mm-hmm. and so, or not. I don't say do better, but just do in other spots. And so I think that's what happened with Lil Wayne because there was nobody left. Like it was literally him and Birdman, and we all know. I, I, I call I have Birdman stinks at rapping. Like, <laughs> like he always says, "I'm not a rapper. I'm a game spitter." Right? So you, you can spit all the game you want, but the rapping that you got is trash, homie. Like, like I'm gonna say that right now. I used to have it with my with my homeboy Kalen. I call him up every Wednesday, and you, I, I guarantee you, I come up every Wednesday, and I'll play a Birdman song, and we just start laughing just because of how bad it is, right? <laughs> and so, so, but at the same token, because it was just him, he took it all. And so there was nowhere else for him to go, but up. Like, you know, when you got the backing of the label and everything, like you, you ain't got no choice. You gonna, you gonna sell these, you know, sell these records. Whereas if Turk was in the picture, I think Turk had a little bit more, especially earlier on in Wayne's career, where Turk was probably a little bit ahead. And so Turk might've been able to take that and run with it. And you know what I'm saying? And do something better, but I agree. But, you know, 
you know, I, I know Turk's bitter about that because he had to catch that bid and, you know, he had to go do his time and he, he had an opportunity to really, really do something. But that's what, you know, that's, but that's what we talk about um, as coaches, you know, like you just spoke on is if you have an opportunity, you know, capitalize on it, you have to be ready and make the most of it. And that's what, uh, you know, that's what Wayne did. You know, he had, he had, the, he had the opportunity, the lane was there for him and he didn't just take it for granted. He worked and he, you know, uh, he's talented, but he, he he took advantage of the opportunity, ran with it, made the most of it, and you know, then he started his own label, and you know, and and it went from there. So it's all you know, it's all the same thing as far as you know, you have talent, but if you don't capitalize on opportunities uh, and you're not ready for it when it presents themselves, then can't capitalize. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm going to throw this last question to you before we wrap up because clearly. Uh, cash money is is it for you? Now, to me, Carter Three was the commercial album, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So we're gonna take that out of the equation. Carter One or Carter Two? Oh, it's hard for me because I think for nostalgia, like it's like Carter One. It's like Carter One is what like. I think it was for New Orleans. It was for the city. It was for him. It's kind of like what Jay says about reasonable doubt. I grew up to this moment, like I like to, for for that pinnacle now. Although that wasn't his, that wasn't Lil Wayne's first album. I think all that stuff was leading towards Carter One, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that was his like kind of like his reasonable doubt moment. I guess you could say. Um, but Carter Two, like. I'm going to have to say, I, I'll be real with you, I'm going to have to say Carter too, just simply because, like, you see, like, you, you like, for the first one, you, 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 you knew, I, I knew, I was like, Luane's my guy, like, that's, that's my rap, like, I love him, like, blah, 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 but then, two, you start to see, like, man, this dude, he could be, like, he could take over the game, mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying, like, he could, he could really do something that's crazy, and so, uh, I think Carter Two had to do it for me because I remember when I was when Carter Two happened, I was on Sanford's campus over the summer, and everybody was like, you know, when 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 Carter Two came out and like, uh, you know, they were they were all going to Walmart to buy the CD, buy the CD, buy the CD, and everybody, I say every athlete on that campus was playing Carter Two, mm-hmm. like for at least a solid two months. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was playing it. If it wasn't in your CD, uh, your CD player, then you didn't have a call. <laughs> like you was riding with somebody else. <laughs> you know, um, it was just blazing hot. And so um, I think that it was it was just such a game changer. And so I would have to say Carter two, but Carter one for me was such a great moment uh, for for him and for hip hop in Louisiana because it was like. Because the people in the city was like, I knew he was going to be something. And then Carter 2, people was like, oh, snap, he took off. And then Carter 3, they was like, oh, he's a... Yeah. Yeah. He's he's, he's Jay-Z and... He's Jay-Z and Kanye and T.I. and all these other dudes that are out there. He's one of them now, you know? Before that, they were like, this dude was good. But when he hit that Carter 3 level, they was like, oh, he's he's up there now. You know, he can take over the game. Whenever Jay stops, you know, when, 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 and, and of course Lil Wayne would always take shots at Jay, 
you know, in his mixtapes, uh, you know, he would always, you know, say like, I'm the best rapper alive since the best rapper retired and stuff like that and yada, yada, yada. And so uh, he always, I think Jay-Z was his, uh, the thing he was reaching for. Right. Kind of like what LeBron does with Jordan. Like he's the ghost, the, the ghost of, of 23 that he's chasing, right? It's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, if, if I had to make that comparison, I would say Lil Wayne. If Jay-Z is Jordan, I mean, it's debatable on who you think the best rapper is of all time. But if Jay-Z is Jordan, then LeBron is like Lil Wayne. Even though he's a Kobe fan. Okay. So so I now I have one question about New Orleans rap. So I'm I'm totally going in a different direction. Uh, I don't know if you're ready for this trade. This is no, this is it's not that bad. I don't think it's that bad. How does New Orleans as a city and as music fans feel about uh Jay Electronica? Man, I, I'm gonna be real. I didn't know he was from New Orleans until I was like, I always thought he was a New York guy. I raps always like, thought raps that, like one. I always thought he was a New York guy. <laughs> and then my homeboy, so one of my best friends in mine in, in this world, Terrence Blanchard, uh, you know, I'm shouting him out because he's one of my boys. And he was the best man in my wedding. He, his dad <clears throat> is a famous uh, jazz musician, has Grammys, has done soundtracks the whole nine. Uh, and this dude, Terrence, is musically gifted. Like He can sing, he can play different instruments. When I first met him, I think he was 10 years old. We were 10 years old. Both of my moms worked at um, the VA together. Okay. And we wa- I walked in his room. Like, he stayed in his house where in New Orleans, you don't have basements. You don't have three-story because it's right. so sea level. Dude. Right. You, you dig, you're going to hit water, right? Right. Um, so... But he stayed in the loft. So he stayed on like the third floor of his house. And it was like a, a room. And you walk in the room, and I'm telling you, like walls of albums, just like CDs, like at 10, 11. Like he was just so musically ahead. And I remember him introducing me. He's like, hey, man, you're listening to Jay Electronica. I was like, who is that? <laughs> y'all, y'all hate, y'all hate, you know, hating on it. He's like, Born in, born in the Magnolia Projects. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and then he was like, oh, he's from New Orleans. I was like, really? You're running with Jay-Z in New Orleans? I mean, in New York? I was like, he from here? And so, hey, man. But he didn't, no love. He don't no get love. that much love. And part of it is because uh, I think part of it, true hip-hop heads give him love. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is because of how irrelevant, I don't want to say irrelevant, not not necessarily rap or content, but how the lack of production that he has as far as like the music, like he doesn't put out a lot of music. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, that, you know, especially when you're around, when you grew up to Lil Wayne, when Lil Wayne putting out a mixtape every every week, week. yeah, that's true. When you're putting out this and that, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's hard to hear a different sound, especially coming out of New Orleans. And then you hear about Jay Electronic, and you're like, oh, when the last album he put out? It's like, oh, 90, you know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and then the next one don't come out until like 2007? You're like, yeah. who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a hate thing. I think it's just an ignorance thing because they just don't know, you know? And to be honest, a lot of people ain't looking for it either. You know, right. so it's, it's not a hate thing. And that just goes to show you how it's polar opposite because everybody up here when he was dropping his first stuff like you said people wasn't waiting for it or checking for it he, he could drop one thing and everybody <laughs> is like 
when's the next one? When's the next? You know, like that. That was like the running joke. Like, when's he going to drop an album? Because it was like we wanted him to make music so bad. It's like the chronic. So bad. It's, it's like a so detox. Bad. So it's like bad. detox. It's and like so detox yeah. with Dre. It's, just uh, like, it's like, oh, we're waiting on it. We're waiting on yeah, it. Yeah. I tell you this. The same thing happened with um, Frank Ocean. He's from New Orleans. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Matter of okay, fact, I know that. Matter of fact, I'm not trying to shout out business, but my boy Terrence and him are cousins. Okay. And so, like, that's how musically gifted that family is. Gotcha. All the moms, yeah, yeah. the aunts, everybody sings church the whole nine. Nobody knew he was from New Orleans, and then all of a sudden, my boy Terrence called me. He's like, "Hey, man, you you saw what uh you saw what homie did?" And I was like, "Oh, Frank Ocean? Yeah, he's nice. He's like, you know who that is, right?" And I was like, "No." Nah. He's like, "That's." That's homeboy. I was like, oh snap, really? Wow. Hmm. Small world. It oh, is, man. man. So I, I think you guys need to claim J Electronica. She better. That's like that's almost like the Chappelle show with the racial draft. If y'all don't claim it, we gonna draft it. <laughs> 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 okay, how much product how much music he puts on? He could be with us if y'all don't claim him. He could be this with us. We made it. On oh, that record alone, you should claim them. I'll say this, and I'm not trying to disrespect New Orleans or nothing. And I like Lil Wayne. I respect him. Exhibit C is the best song ever made by somebody from New Orleans. I don't care what anybody says. Exhibit C is the best song ever made by anyone from New Orleans. Now, that could be a hot take, whatever you... And listen, I know Cash Money put out a lot of great music. I know that No Limit put out a lot of good music. I don't know why y'all won't claim J Electronica because Exhibit C is the best song ever made by someone from New Orleans. And I'm standing on that. Standing on that. Free, check your phone. 504. <laughs> and and, coach, and coach, coach is not feeling that. <laughs> he's, not, he's not feeling that. He is not I'm, allowed I'm at Louis Armstrong Airport. He and and it's not like he's trying to make pretend like he he says it in the song, you know, the Magnolia Projects in the Third Ward slums. So it's not like he's trying to, you know, distance himself. He's claiming y'all, but y'all won't show him any love. But the fact is, Exhibit C is the best song ever made by someone from New Orleans. I'm going. I'm going bird. Hip hop. Hip hop. Hip hop. I'm a Birdman hands. <laughs> That's a tough one. Hey, oh, that's a great song, though. Woo. That's a tremendous song. Hey, but ah, I'm not gonna go out there, man. Well, listen, we can, we, we, listen, we can, I heard we can, we can maybe put put that. We can make that a discussion. We could th throw yeah. some. I'll throw that out on social media. We can have a discussion about that. People want to get at me. That's fine. I was I was here. I listened to the first episode when Marlon said that about Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> now, 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 hold on. That that's my man. He's off base with that. I feel like. You know, that's his opinion, but he he's in left field by himself on that one. Look, man. What I just said, it might be a little bit controversial, especially for people who New Orleans may not want to claim him, but I don't think I'm that far off. Yeah, I, I don't I, think I'm far just, off. And if I'm and I wanna know what this I wanna know what if if I'm wrong, I wanna know what the song is. Yeah, I'm just not gonna say nothing. And don't let me wrong, there's classics, you know, <laughs> you know, make them say uh, you know, no limit had their classics and you know, the, the the whole cash money, they had their classics. Wayne's had a lot of classics, but I don't know if anything's better than that exhibit C. Wow, wow. That's wow. tough. That's, man. That's, how, I, that's, how, I've, that's how I feel. It's hard for me to say that. It's hard for me to say that, man. It is a great song. Because y'all won't claim them. Because yeah. y'all won't claim them. That's why. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I want you. You can tag all your New Orleans people in uh, in this, but tell them to listen. They can fast forward or whatever. We want you to listen to the whole episode, but tell them to fast forward to what I said. And feel free, to comment. <laughs> feel free to comment, tag me. You know what I mean? At me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I I, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to get in that discussion. No man, that's, that's no. fine. I'm I'm cool with that. <laughs> it's, it's 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 all good. It's all love. You know what I'm saying? I love music because it's it's so so subjective and. Mm-hmm. It is based on what you like. Like, you know, I New York rappers, like when people talk about New York, like I like obviously Jay-Z, Nas, man, I love uh AZ. Oof. Uh Monster. Shout out to East New York. Shout out to East New York. You know Monster. what I'm saying? Monster. Obviously Biggie. Um, like there's there's plenty of New York rappers. I'm a huge Jada Kiss guy. Man. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I mean, like, uh, I, look. When I listen to Jada Kiss, I want to put on some Tims in the summer. Everybody goes with that Tims, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, that's, you know what I'm saying? that's the running New York joke. Like, every time I, I work out to DMX, like mm-hmm. DMX is, you know, that's oh my god, like you know, I, I love New York, but you know, obviously home is where the heart is, and so absolutely, but, who that? Who that? Yeah, absolutely. No J. Cole on that either. <laughs> <laughs> but this was fun, man. This was a great episode. Great episode. Learned a lot. Had a great conversation. This this is a good one. Uh, Trey, mm-hmm. we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, you know, was looking forward to ha- having you uh, when we put it together for various reasons. Uh, you know, to have an Ivy League guy on, on here and, and, you know, talk some of that stuff and then talk about some, some hip hop stuff, especially from the world. I think we went further, further South today. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. We had some, we went from New York to the Carolinas. Now we're in Louisiana. Um, and oh, and oh. Yeah, man. So this was good. So, you know, Trey, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it and, you know, continue uh, supporting us, man. And thank you guys, man. This has been fun, man. Anytime you can talk hip hop, you can talk basketball. I'm completely in my element. You know, I think this is like super dope conversation. And so um, I look forward to not only listening, but uh, hopefully, you know, at some point in time later on down the road, coming back and revisiting that, that, that last uh, hot topic. He's going to come back with ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do some research and the recon. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, oh, you know, let's, let's, let's debate. We can have our own verses, you know what I'm saying? One song verses or something, you know what I'm saying? Maybe do it for the fans, you know what I'm saying? Do it like some real bleachers with the boom box and be like, yo. There you go. There you go. There you go. Take it back to the old school. There you go. There you go. Man, if you want to close this out, go for it, my man. Yes, sir. So, uh, again, want to thank Coach Montgomery, University of Pennsylvania, for uh, blessing, him, blessing us with uh, his, uh, his knowledge and uh, a great conversation. And uh, we're really appreciative, appreciative of him uh, coming on for the show. So uh, thanks again, Coach. And uh, this is uh, Matt Collier and Marlon Guild signing out for Bleachers and Boards. Make sure you like, subscribe and um, to our, our podcast and also to our YouTube page so you can see all the action that Coach showed with his video clips to learn more about uh, the five-out offense. Um, definitely learned a lot for me personally, and I uh, know uh, Coach Gill did as well. And uh, so if you want to keep learning about more basketball and having great conversations, keep checking out Bleachers and Boards. So, again, from uh, Matt Collier and Marlon Guild, have a good one. 
Well, that's another episode of Bleachers and Boards brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Bleachers and Boards. Until next time, see you soon.